Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, will you turn with me to a new book this morning, 1 Peter? It's probably easier to go from the back of your Bible, Revelation, Jude, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and then 1st and 2nd Peter. So 1st Peter, we're going to hit the first two verses this morning. Next week, just so you're aware, we're going to skip ahead. We're going to skip verses 3, 4, and 5. We're saving those for Easter. Uh, so then we'll just get to skip ahead, and then 3, 4, 5. So we'll hit verse uh, 7 next week, or verse 6. So we're just the first two verses. So we're excited. If you're new with us, we say a warm welcome. It is a great honor to be able to have you with us to worship our King this morning. Hear God's word. Peter writes this. 1 Peter, verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, several years ago, there was a commercial entitled, What Should I Do? If you're familiar with this commercial, you know it was a Nike commercial starring LeBron James. And in this commercial, LeBron James, he's got some questions. So many words, he's asking the public, who should he be? He has questions because the public persona of him was drastically changing. Time of his life that he was leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers, leaving his hometown of Ohio, and he was moving to the Miami Heat, and, well, the public didn't like it. So in this commercial, he asks, what should he do? Is he supposed to be the villain, or is he supposed to be the hero? Is he supposed to be the, to think to himself that he is the one who's ruined his legacy? What is he supposed to do? If you're watching this commercial, you understand that he's asking all identity questions. He's having an identity crisis. There's one chilling comment right in the middle that you'll catch. He said, should I remove the tattoo from my arm? If you know LeBron James's tattoos, you know this tattoo he was referring to was the one that said, the chosen one. See, LeBron James was supposed to be the chosen one. He was supposed to be the boy from Akron that came and, and bring great light to the NBA. He, he was supposed to be the one who follows in, in Michael Jordan and Kobe's legacy. He was supposed to be better than them all. He was the chosen one. But yet LeBron was struggling here. Because if he was the chosen one, then why at the time was the world hating him? If he was the chosen one, then why were all these Cleveland fans literally setting his jerseys on fire? See, LeBron was, was, had some questions. And in this Nike ad, Nike wants us to ask the question, will the chosen one realize that he is chosen? Interesting question. A question that, that Peter wants to ask us this morning. In fact, this is not just the question that's on the table for, for this morning's passage. This is the question of the entire book of 1 Peter. Will the chosen ones remember that we are chosen? 
Will the chosen ones remember that we're chosen? See, the audience that Peter is writing to was struggling with this. They're struggling with this because they too, like LeBron, were being persecuted. They didn't feel so, so chosen in the moment. That's why Peter, we see in the very first verse, he tells them, yes, you are the chosen ones, you are the elect. Just look at it in verse, uh, verse 1 there. He, he first says his name and he looks at these people he's writing to and says, you are God's elect. Translation, you are the chosen ones. And again, here was a group of individuals that, that I think we can understand why they were questioning whether they were chosen or not, because they were in a time of, of struggle. And they were a time of, of hardship. It says it very in the next word that we see after the word elect or chosen, it's the word exiles, which tells us here was a group that was far from their home. So the question they're asking is, we don't feel chosen, rather we feel abandoned. We feel alone in all of so Peter begins to tell them that they're not alone and they're not abandoned, but that God was right there by their side. Why? Because they were, again, the, the chosen ones. In fact, read with me verse 1 again and notice the regions that Peter is writing to. He says, Peter writes in verse 1, to those who are the elect chosen exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. New Testament professor Karen Hobbs, uh, Jobs, she says this, she's, she says that, that, that these five regions that Peter is writing to were regions that, that the Roman reign of Claudius Caesar was recolonizing. And if you remember correctly from Acts 18, we see Claudius beginning to push the Jews away from Rome at the time and moving them across the Roman Empire. So we see that there were individuals who, who literally were taken from their homes and dispersed into these different regions. They were the exiles. They're the ones who were far from their home. They, they were the foreign ones. So again, they, they're not in this moment really feeling like they're chosen at all. Rather, they're really feeling like they're exiles, that, that they're abandoned, that they're alone. Where, where was God in all of this? So, so how could Paul call these individuals chosen? After all, their, their family was dispersed against these five regions. As we see, he's writing to five different regions at the same time, which tells us that some of these friends were spread across these nations. They weren't able to gather back as family and as friends. And in their mind, they're thinking, I just want to go back to Jerusalem, to, to, to my home, to, to what is familiar to me, what is comfortable to me. So here's a group that, that is dispersed across these five regions and, and they're struggling and they're straining and not only are they dispersed and far away from home in a new environment, but we see that these people are people who are being persecuted. The word that, Paul, uh, that rather Peter is using here, this, this dispersion, he, he almost uses it in, in, in two different lights. In the literal sense that yes, there's a dispersed against these five different regions, but he also uses it in the sense to show the shame that these people were experiencing in their new communities. I know no, many uh, commentators kind of stress this idea that, that the time that First Peter is written was not a time in which Christians were being killed, but you have to understand that was to come. Just decades later, AD 112, we see a letter 
by Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger was, was the governor of Bithynia at the time, the very region that Peter is writing to. And if you're reading this letter, it's a scary letter. Pliny the Younger is trying to talk to his emperor, and he's saying, what should we do with these Christians? And he's telling the emperor in this letter, he's saying, hey, we, I, I've gotten this letter from these other individuals, and it says all the names of the Christians that are living in our community. And he says, I've been going around to each and every one of them, and what I do to them to kind of give them a test is I set up the emperor, and I set up kind of these other gods, and I say, bow down to them. And if they choose not to bow down to, to you, the emperor, and these false gods then I literally cut off their head. And he's riding the emperor and he's telling them, and he says, hey, what should we do with these people? Because those who are kind of going and saying they weren't Christians, the ones that kind of bow down, he says, we just let them go because we know they're not really Christ followers because a Christ follower would never bow to these false gods. But those who bow, we kill. So this is the region that Peter is writing to. Yes, at the time, they weren't being executed, but they were being persecuted. They were being harassed by the Roman guards. They were being taken, and, and as they begin to do business into this new society that, we're, that, that they're kind of integrating into, people are refusing to do business with them. And imagine living in a society where everything based off a of trade, but you can trade nothing because nobody wants to do business with you. And on top of that, they're being harassed and being pushed to the side. This is the group that Peter is writing his letter to. A group who's being harassed by the Roman authorities, those who are far away from their home. Those who are being just on the forefront, the first embers of persecution that is going to break out in their communities. In this moment, they don't feel chosen. The question on their minds is, where are you, God? Have you forgotten about us? Because if you really cared about your people, then you would have done something. You would have brought us back home. You would have protected us from the persecution that's breaking out. God, if you're here, then why are you doing nothing? And I think those questions, they're familiar to us. I think we understand them. You find yourself in the financial difficulty. You find yourself with a health problem. You, you find yourself in a, in a loss of job. Those are the questions you're asking. God, God, where are you? God, if you loved me, then why would you allow this to take place in my life? And yet notice what Peter writes. He writes to this group of individuals who are straining with all their might to, to hold on to their faith, and he calls them the chosen ones. He says, yes, you are chosen. The God has not forgotten you, and I know we look at these words, chosen exiles, and, and in our minds they don't fit. They're oxymorons. They, they shouldn't be brought together. And yet Peter looks at his people he says, this is exactly who you are. Yes, you're exiles. But don't you ever forget that you are God's chosen people. See, this word chosen is going to be drastically important to our understanding of the book of 1 Peter. 
It's a word that Peter uses five different times in this book alone. Every time he uses this word chosen, he's, he's using it as a way to, to infuse hope into his readers. He's, he's using it in a way to, to share that, yes, God has not abandoned you, that yet God is with you. He has a purpose for your life, and he has a great hope. See, this, this word chosen is, is drastically important to Peter, and it has implications. See, First Peter is, is Peter unfolding these implications of what it means to be God's chosen people. And this morning we're going to see three implications of what it looks like for us to be God's chosen people. And the first one is this. That because you're God's chosen people, you can know for sure that no matter what you go through, God is, God is holding you tight in his love. See, notice again what this word chosen really speaks to. It speaks to this idea that, that you are God's elect. This, this word really speaks to this understanding that, that we are deeply loved by, God's, by God himself. This, this word chosen shouts that God loves his people. For again, he's, he's telling these people that they're chosen, that they actually belong to God. That God has not forgotten them. That even in their hardships, that yes, they found themselves in a foreign land, but they needed to remember who they were. They were God's chosen people. And because they were God's, God was not going to abandon them. Again, just look what, what verse 2 says. It says, Peter writes this. He says, those who are, e are the elect or chosen exiles of the dispersion in Pontus or Galatia, or Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the, catch it, foreknowledge of God the Father. You see what Peter is saying here in this moment? He, he's saying before the foundation of the world that, that God had you on his mind. That before the foundation of the world, God looked down the corridor of time and he says, I want you to be my child. And Peter is saying if, if God has the ability to look down the, to the quarter of time and he chose you, then why would he ever neglect or forget you or abandon you? He won't. Why? Because you, you don't forget what you choose. You don't abandon what you choose. In fact, I remember the first time when I was a kid and we're going to buy our first puppy. Dad gets us all in the car and we go and we drive to the breeder and you get out of the car and you see all these beautiful puppies running around. And as you're looking at all these puppies, you're looking, you're seeing which one is going to be our puppy. You look over them all and you say, this is the one. This is the one that's going to be mine. And you wrap your arms around this puppy. And when you wrap your arms around this puppy, this puppy immediately becomes part of the family. It's your puppy. You, you chose it. And because you chose it, you're not going to neglect it. No, you're going to make an oath that say you're going to love this puppy and care for this puppy and make sure nothing happens to this puppy. And if we're willing to do this with a puppy, how much more will God do that to his chosen people? God chose you. 
And because he chose you, he's going to wrap his arms around you. He's not going to neglect or abandon you. No, he's going to love you and care for you and ensure that you have a great future. And into a society in which they're, again, struggling to to understand this and, and to grasp this, this is who he talks to. We need to hold on to that reminder that God, what God chooses, he does not leave. This is our reality, friends. That God did look through the quarter of time before the foundation of the earth was even set. He looked at you and said, I want you to be mine. And the Bible goes beyond that saying that God knows even the amount of hair on your head. And beyond that to say that the days of your life are written in his book already. And you picture that? God knows the exact amount of days that you will live on this earth. And the picture I have in my mind is God is holding us tightly. He has his arms wrapped around us until that moment, until we pass from this world. And what does that mean? He just simply ushers us into his presence where he's holding us again. He never, ever lets us go. Why? Because we're God's chosen people. So I don't know what you're going through. But in those moments in which we struggle, in those moments in which we think, God, have you left us? Remember that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that means you are a chosen child of the Most High God. Paul needs us to see this, to remind us in those trials and in those persecution, because the trials will come. That's why he calls us chosen exiles. The idea of exiles is, yes, there are going to be times in our lives in which we feel lonely. There will be times in our lives in which we will struggle. But in those moments, we need to remember that the word chosen is the word that modifies the exile part. That we're not actually alone, but we're chosen exiles. That God has his arms wrapped around us the entire time. And nothing Nothing will ever, ever change that. First aspect that you need to understand with this idea of us being chosen exiles is this idea, yes, in the midst of the struggle, that God has not abandoned you, but he has his arms wrapped around you. Second thing we understand is this gives us a purpose. Notice again what it says in verse 2. It says, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the full knowledge of God the Father, catch it, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter is going to flip this word on its head, and he's going to change what this word exile actually means. See, when he uses this word exile, immediately he, he, he connects the people he's writing to to the nation of Israel. This word dispersion, yes, he's using it in a sense of, yes, they're, they're, they're spread across the land, but immediately it brings back to our minds the, the time in which Israel was separated as well, the, 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 the diasporia, this idea that, that in those times in which Israel was sent off into exile, when the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom taken by the, uh, the uh, Babylonians, that this time in, in the nation of Israel's life, they were sent off. And it was a time of, of shame. 
This word of being the exiles was a time of of embarrassment for Israel. After all, the way they were sent off was because of their disobedience. But Peter now is going to flip this word on its head. And and the way he does so is he's using this word dispersion in two senses. In the literal sense that, yes, he's writing to a group of people who were dispersed against these five regions. But he also uses this word in a greater sense. That they have been dispersed for a purpose. What is that purpose? Catch it, verse 2. That they have been sanctified by the Spirit, or rather they've been set apart by God's Spirit for obedience unto Jesus Christ. See, the word sanctification there, it's not necessarily used in the way we might think. He's, he's not using it in the progressive sanctification process, of, but rather he's using it in the sense of that God's people have been set apart for a purpose. And what is that purpose? It's obedience. They've been sanctified, set apart, made holy, set apart for the purpose of, of shining the beauty of who Christ is to the rest of the world. So in essence, what he's saying to these group of people, he's, he's not only using this word dispersion in two different ways, he's using the word exile in two different ways. Again, in the literal sense, you were exiles, they were foreigners in their land. But he uses this word exiles in a much greater sense, in a spiritual sense. That because they were God's chosen people, because they were Christ followers, they were foreigners of this world. That this world was not supposed to be their home. The way Paul would say it in Philippians, that our citizenship is in heaven. So therefore, that they're foreigners, they're exiles in this world. Why? To be set apart, sanctified. To show off the beauty of who Christ is. And the way we show off the beauty of who Christ is is by our obedience. Why is this important? And why is this written to this group of individuals? Because they were being persecuted. Why were they being persecuted? Because their obedience and allegiance to Jesus Christ. So in their minds, they're thinking, how do we kind of ease the persecution? By stepping away from our obedience. Maybe if we just chill out a little bit, not be as obedient then maybe the persecution against us will ease and kind of calm. And yet Peter is writing to him and says, no. Your very purpose of being God's chosen people was to be set apart and to be different. He says, this is what you're all about. You're called to be different. And people should see that difference in your life. In fact, I grew up 25 minutes away from Disneyland. Which meant that I went to Disneyland quite a bit as a child and into my adult life. And as you go to Disneyland, one of the things you see is, is, is California is already a melting pot. Understanding that the white uh, is, is the minority in Southern California, so there's a bunch of different colors, and I love it. As you go to Disneyland, though, you can immediately catch a foreigner. Those, who, even though they look different than you, you can catch those who are from a far distant land or the ones who are living in your community. You know the difference. How do you know the difference? Because they look different. They talk different. They dress different. They, they have a different kind of spatial sense. They're just different. They have accents. You can easily tell those who are foreigners, sojourners in Disneyland for those who live in your community. And yet Paul is, Peter is saying this. He's saying the same should be said about you as a Christ follower. You're in exile. 
This world is not supposed to be our home. The way the world works, its sin patterns and, 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 it's, and, and kind of what it's all about is not what Christians partake in. So that when you go to work, there should be a difference about you. People should tell that you are different from the rest by the way you act, the way you talk, the way you think. So one of the themes that is going to immerse from this, it's not this only this idea of being God's chosen people, that God has not abandoned you, but the second theme that's going to immerse out of 1 Peter is this idea that you've been sanctified by the Spirit, set apart. This word holy is used a ton in this book. Be holy because He is holy. Be obedient. Don't back out just because you're being persecuted, but you are called to be different. In fact, this idea of dispersion is used of us, that he has dispersed us into our spheres of influence, whether that's at base or whether that's in the home or whether that's in the marketplace. You're called to be different, to shine a light, to be sanctified, set apart so that other people can look at you and see the beauty of who Jesus is. And how do you do that again? By obedience to Christ. Second thing we learn, yes, we're chosen, that it reminds us that he has his arms wrapped around us. Secondly, we learn that we've been chosen to be set apart, exiles, obedient in this world. Lastly, we see what it means to be chosen, exiles, means that we have a great future and a great uh, home coming to us soon. Look again what it says in verse 2. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the spirits, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and catch the last part, and sprinkling with his blood. We've been chosen to be sprinkled by his blood. I don't have a lot of time to talk about where this is actually coming from. It's coming from Exodus 24. But the thing you need to know that Peter is constantly connecting the people he's reading to, to the nation of Israel. One of the main reasons he does this is to show them, here was God's chosen people before. Even in their disobedience, did God abandon them? No, he stuck with them. He was faithful to his people. And if he was faithful to the nation of Israel, how much more will he be faithful to the church? But in this writing, what he's doing is he's connecting them to Exodus 24. And in Exodus 24, what we see is Moses gets before the nation of Israel. And what does he do? He's beginning to, to do this, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant with his people. So he takes the blood of an ox and he takes the blood of a bull and he begins to sprinkle the nation of Israel. He throws it out upon the people. And the reason he does that is they begin to reply, yes, we will be obedient to you, God. Yes, we're going to enter into this covenant. And what does this covenant mean? It means that God will lead his people. He will not abandon them. But he will walk with them with grace and patience. And the great frustration of, about the Mosaic covenant, just pages later, the nation breaks the covenant. They break their part. They weren't obedient. But here's the great news of the gospel. This new covenant that we get to partake in. That it's no longer the blood of an ox or a bull who's sprinkled over us, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Which means that this covenant is not based off of our obedience, but it's based off of Christ's obedience. We've been sprinkled with his blood. 
which means it guarantees this covenant. So it's not based off of us, but it's solely based off of Christ's righteousness and the price that he already paid for us on the cross. Which means that God will never abandon his church. But because this covenant has been sealed and ensured by the blood of Jesus Christ, it ensures us a greater day is coming. It assures us a great living hope, as Peter will write, that, that one day soon his people, that were, yes, exiles, but were not lost or were not forsaken, we're just making our way home. And one day soon, you and I are going to be face to face with our God in our new home. No more tears. No more suffering. No, no more sin. But God will reign over his people for now and forevermore. This is the message of 1 Peter. That yes, God he will never abandon his chosen people. That yes, we are elect exiles sent out, dispersed across our fears of influence for the purpose of proclaiming the greatness of who Jesus is by our obedience. And lastly, we have this living hope that will never change. Because God has us now and he's leading us to our future home. I can't wait to dive more into this book with you. It's a powerful message. Chosen exiles. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful. Each and every week, we, we say we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the living hope that's found in this book. And we're thankful for this book because it points us to you, our greatest treasure, our greatest hope. So God, I pray for your people. Those who are going through a dark, difficult time, oh God, let them be reminded that they are, that you're, that, that you, they are your elect, that they are your chosen child. God, you have not abandoned them, but your promise is that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So God, remind us of that great hope. Strengthen your church. Let us not shy away from our obedience even in, in the culture we live in because of persecution. But let us be obedient to you because you're worthy of it all. God, and thank you for that future hope of heaven. Keep our eyes focused upon the great prize in which we're headed. Yes, we're sojourners now, but one day soon we will find our final home and find rest in you. Let your people let your people see your glory. We pray these things in your son's precious name.